0: All right. We are live tonight with the School Psych Podcast. We're going to get right into things because um, this is part two of our discussion on executive functioning with our very important guest. And he's got a lot of information to cover and a lot of um, useful things to talk about. So we're going to kind of get rolling with it. Um, but my name is Rachel and I'm a school psychologist currently working in the state of Maryland. Rebecca? Hi, I'm Rebecca,
1: and I'm a school psychologist working in the state of Connecticut. I'd like to tell you guys a little bit about how to ask questions or make comments, so please go to the... Um, to either Facebook page, School Psych, Your School Psychologist, or the School Psych podcast page. And you can just comment under the top post, which is uh, the post for tonight's podcast. Or um, sometimes people send messages um, with the message feature. That's fine too. And comment on Twitter using hashtag Psyched Podcast. I'll be looking for your messages, questions, and comments. And please feel free to ask specific questions about the kiddos you're working with. Anna?
2: Um, Hi, I'm Anna. I'm a school psych working in New York State, and I want to introduce... Oh, you wanted to see my cats, right? It was very... (laughs) Hey. Ow. Okay, that was a bad idea. Um, I want to introduce our guest, um, Dr. Matt Rebeck. He's a school neuropsychologist. He works for Posey County Special Services. He's also an adjunct professor at USI, so he teaches neuropsych, and he's very, very smart and has lots of info for us. So (laughs) thanks again for joining us tonight, Matt.
3: (laughs) Thank, thank you for the, the very nice introduction. Okay. Um, great to be back here. Um, uh, can you guys see my screen okay here?
0: Um, we just see uh, black at this point, because I know okay. that you're having trouble with your webcam, but mm-hmm. your screen share should hopefully still work.
3: Okay, because I have my PowerPoint slides up.
0: Did you do the screen share over on the left side, the little green.
3: Um, oh, there we go. And then I hit entire screen. Or, yeah. oh, hold on. How
0: however you have it set
3: up. Okay, I got you. How about now?
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool.
3: okay. So um, obviously I had uh, way too much information last time, so I'm just going to kind of cut to uh, to the part that it seems like a lot of people are, um, are wanting to learn about, is just kind of the, the actual executive functions themselves. I'll talk a little bit about some of the tests that we use to assess executive functions. Um, directly assess. I didn't put anything in about rating scales in here. Um, and I have a couple case studies that I'll talk about um, and how uh, how executive functions can look completely different for um, different kiddos, and open it up to some questions, hopefully, and uh, kind of go from there. Okay, so um, uh, I I took these. Uh, Definitions from Dr. Miller's book of the uh, uh, second edition of uh, School Neuropsychological Assessment, which is available, I think, for about 30 bucks or something, so pretty cheap, you know, within all of our uh, price ranges, hopefully. Um, So, anyway, uh, cognitive flexibility, uh, Dr. Miller defines it as difficulty with transitions from one activity to another, tendency to perseverate or to get stuck. you know, another way of, to think about perseveration is to persist, um, and difficulties letting go. So, of course, when we talk about cognitive flexibility right away, um, at least I do, I think about uh, our kiddos on the spectrum, that they have a lot of cognitive flexibility difficulty. They are, they're very rigid in their thought process. Um, so a lot of times, uh, kiddos on the spectrum have difficulties with flexibility. Um, there's a lot of times, too, kids who just have behavior problems in general, um, have difficulties with flexibility. Um, sometimes even our kids who are anxious have some cognitive flexibility issues. Um, concept formation. Now, this is important with uh, learning and relating new information to previous information. Okay, uh, And this facilitates storage and retrieval of information. And um, there's two components that we can look at with concept um, generation or formation. There's the concept generation, which is the actual problem solving action or behavior, while concept recognition is the cognitive component, okay? Uh, and the decafs does actually a very good job separating the two, where, um, you, that you give these, the, the kid these cards, and they sort these cards in different categories, whether you, you, know, you put these cards that are blue over here and these cards that are yellow over here. So the kid has to do the sort, which is the action part of the behavior, and then they have to describe to you how they made the sort. So you get the action, and you get their thought process behind it. And then the next condition is that you make the sort for the kid, and then they describe it to you. So if they do poor... On the first condition, it could just mean that they have some poor problem-solving behavior. Um, I'm sorry, if they do poor on the first condition but then do really good on the second condition, you know, where you make the sorts for them, then they could have um, some poor problem-solving behavior, but they have the cognitive component. So you're looking at not a lack of knowledge on how to form those concepts, but you're looking at more of a performance, being able to do it. Um, Sometimes even some initiation difficulties. And, you know, using the rest of your uh, data that you collected through your evaluation can then help you determine is it an initiation problem, is it a performance problem, you know, those kinds of things. Um, All right, now, fluid reasoning. Um, This assists with complex choices and decisions, um, understanding the interconnections between subject matter and learning to identify and ask relevant questions, okay? Now, concept formation generation, um, and fluid reasoning are pretty similar, uh, but the main difference with fluid reasoning is that they're looking at these abstract designs, or um, more of a, this abst- or, uh, information they've never seen before, novel information, where concept formation, on the other hand, when you assess it, it's information these kids already know, but they find similarities between them. Um, you can even think of our card sorting tasks as um, the similarities task, you know, on our uh, Wexler series, but on steroids. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, and the, the fluid reasoning tasks are things like the matrix reasoning. Now, I'm going to talk, you know, when I uh, talk about these assessments and um, how, how they're related, I'm, I use, you know, the assessments I'm used to. So I use the the Wexler series. So, you know, uh, of course, um, with the KABC and... Um, the Woodcock Johnson, you know, those kinds of tests. They all have uh, Stanford-Binet. You know, they all have their equivalents to the um, fluid reasoning assessments. But you know, I'm just not as familiar with those. Um, okay. Let's see. Um, okay. So, and I forgot. I'm sorry. I apologize to put inhibition on there, but um, that's just the the child's ability to um, relearn a way to respond to. Um, Stimuli to usual stimuli that they're used to um, uh, And kind of it to Control an impulse um, You know for example you can think of a, uh, a very common test for inhibition is called the Stroop test um, mm-hmm. Where there's these colored words like red yellow blue, but they're printed in a different colored ink So like the word red is printed in blue ink, so the child has to um read the ink color and not read the word. So they have to inhibit that more salient or that more automized or automatic um, response to read the word, okay? Um, So that's how we can measure inhibition, uh, one of the many tests. Okay, so as far as interventions, um, you know, it's it's very tricky just to, uh, and sometimes even problematic, to just look at executive functioning alone in isolation and try to come up with executive function, or I'm sorry, come up with uh, interventions, Um, because you should always, your interventions and um, ideas should be based on how the kid performed as a whole, you know, through your whole assessment, um, not just on these executive functions. Um, So uh, also, um, when you're coming up with these executive functions, um, it's important to understand about can the parent's and can the school provide this intervention in the classroom? Is it practical? Okay, because there's a lot of times, as with ADHD, uh, there's a lot of times that you see the same executive dysfunction with the parents as you see with the children. Um, so you know that is also an area um, that can be a little problematic when you're thinking about uh, interventions to, to try at, at home, <laughs> um, because you know you, you, with these ADHD parents. Um, you know that they're, they're late to the meetings all the time or they, f- they lose the rating scales. you know those kinds of things and they lack that consistency and unfortunately these kids with these executive functioning deficits need that consistency <laughs> so sometimes you have to train the parents you know on these kinds of things as well um, so the, the first level is that you can intervene at the environment okay so again these are just very generalized type of um, interventions okay and In my reports, at the end, I try to put in some interventions, okay? And when I talk about these kinds of things, I use it as this should be considered a start point. This is by no means the only thing that we can do, but this should be a start point, and we ourselves need to implement our cognitive flexibility in these situations and adapt if something doesn't work or if we need to tweak it, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, So adding structure uh, is... Always good for these kids with just, you know, again, generalized executive functioning difficulties. Um, Telling them exactly what they need to do. Give them detailed directions. Um, Having them work for a little bit and then reread the directions, okay? Um, Then that's that engage, disengage, read the directions, and then reengage, okay? Um, Providing the set of rules. Um, You know, that can be important, especially when you're talking about um, uh, higher order like math type of operations, you know, where you have to memorize the orders of operation or they have to memorize a formula, something like that, where they just get the information jumbled up. And then they make these careless mistakes, even though you know that they have the basic calculation skills intact, but it's because they just get overwhelmed. So providing... um, you know, a copy of the formula or, you know, whatever they're doing or the rules, those kinds of things really helps out. Allowing reworks, okay? This is sometimes a hard point to sell, especially for our um, our older kiddos um, in the junior high, high school ages. But if you know that the kid has the concept or has the idea, but they just made airhead mistakes, um, you're not really grading them then on their knowledge content, you're grading them on their executive functions. And, of course, kids with poor executive functions are going to do poor on a test that tests executive functions. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even at the college level, I, uh, I allow some of my students to rework, um, you know, stuff on there. And I don't call them tests. I call them assessments of knowledge because, you know, tests are just too stressful. Uh, you know, you don't want to stress them out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I allow reworks on those kinds of things. So you know if they if they skip the problem or if they didn't answer it right, you know, I'm not going to count it wrong because it's not you're not assessing them on what they know, you're assessing their executive functions. Um, providing a, a, the, the set of rules, those kinds of things. Um, uh, preferential seating, of course, you know, the very basic. Um, but preferential seating doesn't always necessarily mean up front. Sometimes kids do better in the back. like if they're kids that need to stand up, a lot or move around you know having that kind of a kid in front may not be beneficial um the the set of rules of course is important posted set of rules where you can refer to um in one of my um uh clinical hours i I had to do there was a uh, a kid in the classroom this is a more of a severe classroom this kid who has autism um he memorized the rules. You know, he's very rigid with the rules. So each time a kid broke a rule, he would just be like, "Number seven, number seven You know, so it was real easy for me to know if a kid was breaking a rule because the autistic kid was telling me. <laughs> um, so you know, get, get an autistic kid and, and put him him or her in your classroom and have them memorize the rules. So then they can help out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, rewording directions also make them more explicit. You know, more direct to the point. Take out some of the stuff that's not needed. Um, you know, you do those kinds of things at first, and then you have the child then start doing those kinds of things on their own. Because, of course, we want to teach them to function independently, um, but what we're trying to do just isn't working. Um, and I think I probably hit hit on this idea um, last time I talked to you guys, but there's there's that misconception that just because it's more of a behavior characteristic that we can't teach it. <laughs> you know, I mean, we wouldn't think twice about a kid who, who has difficulty with word decoding. We wouldn't think twice about saying, okay, you can't decode at the fourth grade level, so let's go back to the third grade or second grade level or first grade level, wherever we need to go to, and let's hit on these skills and then work our way back up. And our goal is to get you caught back up to grade level, where with the, these behaviors, the, the, the common thing that I get from a lot of people common response is well they're 13 they should know better or they're 13 they should put their name on the paper or you know those kinds of things yeah you're right they should but they're not and what we're doing right now is not helping them so we need to take a step back and pro- provide these behavioral interventions that we would say a fourth grader or a fifth grader you know and then we work on these skills because these skills can be taught just like decoding can be taught mm-hmm.
1: So how do you do that? Um, can I just jump in? You, you. I know you work in a school as well. How do you do that when, when a teacher is a little bit um, resistant to some of these uh, interventions because she's got a classroom full of, you know, thirty kids, and mm-hmm. she says, for example, you, you ask her to add some more structure and provide, you know, um, detailed directions, and she says uh, the directions are on the board. They're, uh, they're already there. So what do you do? You then um like create the structure for the student or do you kind of model it for the teacher
3: effort? Um, yeah, well, you know, and, and yeah, it, it kind of depends. Um you know, what what I try to do when I have time is to chat with the teachers um, before the conference, you know, before actually I do my evaluation and mm-hmm. and see with them what, what questions they want me to answer. And I try to shoot ideas back and forth and work with them where um, it, it's almost like bargaining, you know, where, where I'll come up with one number or one idea, and then she'll come up with another, and hopefully we try to meet in the middle. Um, you know, and fortunately, you know, it's taken me some, some time, but fortunately I've, I've gotten to the point where um, at the very least they consider some of my suggestions um, that I make in our conferences. Um, and you know, and uh, I try to work with the teachers and let them know that the easiest way to provide these kinds of interventions is that you just do it classroom-wide. So you're not focusing on one student; you're doing it for everybody. So everybody's benefiting from these kinds of interventions. I try to work with them on how their classroom is set up, and you know those kinds of things. Um, but there's a lot of times that um, when it comes down to it, you know, we put these kinds of ideas or these kinds of interventions in the IEP, um, you know, and then they really don't have a choice, that, you know, after that. But of mm-hmm. course, we want, you know, we want them to feel like we're forcing them to do these kinds of interventions. Um, you know, there's sometimes I'll talk about some of the some of the research behind that and why we're doing that and those kinds of things um, but really uh, the, the thing that changes people's mind the most is when they see results from that you know uh, and just continue to give the the teachers and the school staff there uh, as much support as possible and modeling yeah just like what you guys said modeling and showing them how to implement these kinds of things as quick and as easy as possible but yeah, that's a very good question.
0: Very cool. Well, we pause for the question for that question. Um, I know that we had um, a question from the audience just a, about the PowerPoint. Um, we have the PowerPoint from last time available up in the Google Drive. Um, oh. it, has have there been changes to the PowerPoint? Should we? There be... has
3: not. Okay.
0: Nope. So. Well, just, yeah, everyone, um, the PowerPoint is located in the Google Drive. Let me know, you guys, if you want, like, a really quick two-minute tutorial on how to access that again. But we did um, go through that kind of briefly, I think, in the last executive functioning episode. Um, but I can show everyone again. So if you're in the audience and you're watching and you want to know how to access the Drive and access the PowerPoint, just let us know. Shoot us a, a tweet or something on Facebook and we'll do that. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
3: okay. No, no, very good. Um... Okay, so like I said, you know, rewording directions, making them more explicit. Um, a real good uh, strategy that I have that the kids do is, you know, like a story problem. Um, you know, there's a lot of information that's very, that's irrelevant. You know, we don't care what the kid's name was. We don't, you know, we don't care that the shoes or the kid's shoes were red when we we're talking about how many marbles do they have, you know, that kind of stuff. So you teach them, or you first you model for them, uh, you know, crossing information out that's not important. Um, and then that leaves you with, then, the information that is important. Um, and sometimes translating the the um, uh, story problem narrative into math terms. Um, this is especially important for our kids that you see um, uh, that they have good uh, math calculation, but then their story problem, so, or, you know math reasoning, is bottomed out. And then, you know, because they have the skills, they just don't know how to Implement those skills with a lot of the distractors. Um, so changing the the directions there, and again, you, you model for them, and then you teach them to do it themselves. Um, changing uh, open-ended questions to more like closed-ended type questions. Sometimes the kids have difficulty with du- like W H questions, um, and you know that can even be reflected with um, kids who do poor on like the vocabulary subtest. Um, you know, again from the Wexler series, that you just know that this kid has a better vocabulary than what they're showing. I don't know if you guys have ever sat there, if you, you know, during an evaluation and you're like, you know, you come back with a scaled score of like five or six, and you're like, you know what, this kid has a much better vocabulary, that they just have difficulty with open-ended questions, um, that has a lot to do with that organization. Um, there's sometimes we see our kids that are very, very verbal, that they talk a lot and a lot, because they kind of talk around the subject, around the subject, and then they eventually get to the target. Um, So sometimes those kinds of open-ended or WH questions even are kind of difficult for our uh, kids with executive functioning difficulties. Um, Okay. Providing word banks and adding writing cues can be very beneficial as well. Um, Again, the the word banks is um, when you find a difference between um, what they learn or what they know and being able to retrieve it. Uh, you know, there's a number of different assessments that you can do to test this kind of hypothesis. But um, I've found that that's a very big factor when, um, uh, when staff members kind of, I don't want to say misdiagnosed, but um, when they think a kid has a cognitive disability, when they really don't, because they have difficulty getting the information out. Um, that they have it in there, but they can't retrieve it. And retrieving is an executive function, getting it out. Um, because our encoding of information is tends to be a little bit more of uh, posterior part of the brain, and retrieving the inf- or getting it out again is more anterior or frontal part of the brain. Okay, um, so those word banks or you know memory cues, uh, memory strategies really help them out because it's in there. They just cannot find it. Um, a lot of times I uh, compare this to. Um, uh, uh, like my office, for example, um, you know, if you give me a file, uh, I'm gonna just put it somewhere in my office, okay? Uh, then you ask me to get that file, uh, you know, a day later, I can get it because I know it's in there, but it's gonna take me a little bit longer to get it out, okay? But it is in there. Now the other psych, you know, she is very organized. So you give her a file, she's gonna put that file under F, under the kid's last name. You ask her to get it, she's gonna get it out right away, okay? Um, so the way that we organize the information when we're encoding it has a lot to do with how we retrieve the information later on, OK? So those word banks, those um, multiple choice questions out there, multiple choice um, possibilities, those kinds of things act as cues for these children, OK? But now with that said, (laughs) if this kid is inattentive or impulsive, then you're going to have to also focus on them um, checking their work and to um, look at all the choices before they choose an answer because then you have to provide these kids cues but then you also have to teach them not to be so impulsive and just choose the first thing that they see Um, okay minimize short answer and essay questions can help out Um, sometimes having the kid talk through um, the um, uh, the answers that they want to do first can help Um, teaching them the writing process where you know the first first draft or when they're Um, just first getting their ideas out. It doesn't have to be the the finished product. Um, Have have the children make suggestions to um, change the task or task alterations, especially when they start getting older. That's going to give them uh, uh, also a sense of ownership of kind of what's going on. Um, So you can ask them, yeah, you missed this question, Johnny, but I know that you know this, and you do too. What could we do differently about the presentation of this? Um, those kinds of things, and even for for our younger kids, we can do those kinds of things. And unfortunately, that's that's a um, and I forget it sometimes too. That that's a very good idea. Just to ask the kid, what can we do to make this easier? You know, of course they say, don't give me the spelling test or you know something. <laughs> you know, we can't do that. But getting an idea from them uh, is also benef- can also be beneficial. Um, let's see, provide scoring rubrics. Um, so they know exactly what they're being scored on, so then they can work for a little bit, check the rubric, go back, You know, because then that works on that self-monitoring as well. Um, Provide uh, verbal prompts or reminders, especially when we see them kind of getting off-task. Visual cues can be very beneficial, too. Um, You know, like the the math formula can be good. Uh, You know, if we're talking about a kid with poor attention, um, you know, a little blue dot on their desk. Uh, And, of course, you have to tell this kid before you do this, but a little blue dot on the desk acts as a, the uh, visual cue for them to get their attention back to what they're doing. You know, instead of the teacher always having to say, Johnny, are you paying attention? Johnny, are you paying attention? Johnny, why aren't you paying attention? You know, because then poor Johnny, even though he's not paying attention, he's going to feel like the teacher is picking on him, he can, and he could um, have a negative outlook on the school, on the teacher, you know, those kinds of things, and they get have that snowball effect. Um Schedules and lists can be very beneficial for our kids, um, especially our kids with poor cognitive flexibility. Um, so if they know their schedule ahead of time, that's going to help them out, and especially if there's going to be a change in their schedule. That's going to help them out to get, give them a chance to kind of change that mindset. Okay. Um, when checking work, start with the last completed problems. Um, I found that this really works very well. Uh, for our kids with some um, persistence difficulties or impersistence, persistence. Um, you know, the kids who start off really well, but then they, they fizzle at the end. Um, so when, let's say they also have um, uh, some math problems, 10 math problems that they have to do. So, you know, they finish the 10 math problems, you go off to something else, or you give them a little break, and when they come back, you have them check their work, but they start at number 10, because um, that works um, Kind of a it's a kind of a twofold um, approach because when they're checking their work, they're fresh again. They're cognitively fresh, so um, they're doing their best work while checking the work. But they, it just so happens that the work that they are checking is probably their poorest work, okay? Or the work that they more that they're more likely to commit the errors on, okay? Um, audio tapes and those kinds of things can help out with cues. Um, now there's a uh, uh, it's a real neat little tool. It's called a motivator, except it's not spelled like motivate. Um, I forget how it's spelled. You can probably Google it, but it kind of looks like a pager right. for, for those people who are out there who know what a pager is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, you can set it to vibrate either like every minute, every two minutes, or intermittently. Um, and when it vibrates and the kid's supposed to, you know, that's, that's like their, their cue to pay attention. And you can even give them a little checklist of was I paying attention, yes or no. And, you know, it really doesn't matter if they were paying attention or not, but if they check the box, then that just means that they're becoming more and more aware of it. Um, You know, I don't know if I have this on here, but another real good one that that I like is that you have the kid rate their attention or rate their motivation or rate their behavior or, you know, whatever throughout the day. And then you have the teacher or parent do the same thing. And then you compare little Johnny's ratings to – the adults' ratings and see that they don't match up. And there's a lot of times that kids are misbehaving just because they don't understand that their behavior is inappropriate. Now you can say, Johnny, you're not supposed to behave that way. Um, but comparing those kinds of things, um, the ratings can be a little bit more beneficial. And of course, your goal is for the ratings to match and, of course, for the ratings to be good. Um, yeah, He's aware of his bad behavior, but he's not doing anything to change it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. That's the, uh, the the alarms that kind of goes along with the uh, the motivator. Um, work through the initial problems. Oh, again. Okay, yeah, work through initial problems with the child and have them work independently. Um, this also works for your our kiddos with some uh, anxiety difficulties um, and even some initiation difficulties uh, where you give them that structure for the first one or two problems and then you have them work independently. So if they have a question that you tell them to reference The problems that they've already done first, because you you know that that's a that's a good strategy. It's a good test, good strategy for them to do. And then if they still don't get it, then they can ask you for help or you know the teacher. And then the teacher can go back through the problems instead of just giving them the answer. Um, So you know sometimes that works as well. Um, Okay, so.
0: Just to, if I could jump in for a second, you were talking about the motivator, jump that right little, in. Um, the vibrator to kind of give reminders. We talked about that a little bit um, as an intervention in, I think we did an ADHD episode, and we talked about that having, uh. and so I've done that before, and what I find really helpful because you can buy those those mo- motivators specifically, you know, to do that type of thing, and they're like 40 bucks or something, um, mm-hmm. you can download the app for I think $2 or something, and put it on an old cell phone, have the kid wear the old cell phone, you know, in their pocket, and that mm-hmm. worked really helpful. So I think that's oh, a very nice. cool intervention.
3: <laughs> it is. It is. Um, and, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, I, I use that for me, you know, when I'm working on my reports or something, I, my, my, my mind starts to drift off a little bit. So it helps me to, to stay on task, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay, so uh, before I go on to interventions at the level of the person. Um, does the group have any any questions or um, anything like that at all? Or should I just keep going?
1: I don't think anything's coming in right, Rebecca. Right, no. I, we just got um, some positive feedback on Twitter from Tracy. She said she likes such practical tools and ideas to use with students and she definitely wants to check out the motivator also. Oh, okay. I, I remember cool. seeing a really good... Um, YouTube video on the motivator and and how it works. I am not sure who put it out there, but maybe if you Google it on YouTube, you might be able to find it. <laughs> Go ahead, Matt. I don't want to interrupt okay. you. You're on a good roll. We're like. No, oh,
3: no, no. You're good. You're good. Uh, and we're doing. Looks like we're doing good on time as well. You know, providing that structure for me. Um, you know, so yeah, and you know, that, use that as an, as an example too. There's some kids that. Uh, um, You know, they wander, they daydream, they get lost in the details, those kinds of things during work um, where you tell them you have 10 minutes to get this done. Um, for some kids, that can work. Now, a kid who's anxious, <laughs> you don't want to do that because that, that's going to send their anxiety into uh, hyper-anxiety, uh, anxiety overload. Um, so, you know, again, you know, these, these interventions are very broad, very general ideas, but knowing your kid... That you're working with is going to be very beneficial because these ideas will hopefully give you a starting point, um, or just uh, maybe a new set of ideas or new new way of looking at at um, interventions, looking at these kinds of things. Um, but you know, the idea is that still each child is so unique and individual that you need to, you know, your interventions, your suggestions should be tailored to the need of the child. Um, and hopefully, this will help out. You know, with that. Okay, so intervening, intervening at the level of the person. So these interventions are a little bit more intense, um, uh, and this may not be as applicable in the general education classroom setting. Um, these might be more of at home or in a special education setting or um, in small group within the general education setting, you know, those kinds of things, um, depending on how the classroom is structured. Um so teach this skill as you would an academic skill, you know, kind of like what I uh, talked about before when I was on my soapbox a little bit, um, which does take a lot of talent sitting down being on your soapbox, but I was able to do it. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, describe the problem behavior. Okay. Set a goal. Um, establish a procedure or set of steps to reach the goal supervise the child following the procedure, evaluate the process, and make changes if necessary, and then fade the supervision. Um, now, uh, these interventions, and I think probably the, uh, the other interventions as well, I got from, um, I can't recall the authors right now, but it's, I think the book is called um, uh, Intervention, Interventions for Executive Functions. Or it's in the, the works cited, the, the references page. Um, but that, that's where these came from. Um, and the, the second edition book is out right now. Uh, it's a very good book. It's very short and to the point. Um, so that's where I got um, a lot of these ideas from. Um, okay, so, you know, um, the, describe the problem behavior. So um, let's say that this kid um, you know, has difficulty with self-monitoring. Okay, so you first describe the problem behavior that uh, this kid is getting poor grades not because they don't have the knowledge base, but because they cannot demonstrate the knowledge base. It's a lack of performance, not a lack of knowledge. Okay, so um, we set a goal. Um, you know, let's say this kid rushes through their assignments too. So we set a goal that they that they have to work for 10 minutes. So, um, you know, uh, putting that uh, time restraint can work for our kids who, Um, daydream a little bit that need that structure saying you need to get done in 10 minutes, but it also helps out for our impulsive kids. So you set a time limit of 10 minutes, and, you know, the kid rushes through it, and they get done in, like, 10 seconds. Well, they have to still sit there for uh, 9 minutes and 50 seconds until the timer goes off. So then they have to go back and check their work. Okay, Mm -hmm. so you can set a goal of, um, you know, you can set a goal of a percentage correct on the um, worksheet, or you can set a goal of um, checking their work independently if you want. You know, If you're not even worried about is it right or wrong, we just want the kid to get into the habit of doing the self-monitoring and self-corrections, then that would be a better goal. Also, if you're working with a kid with some self-esteem issues, um, self-concept issues, those kinds of things, especially maybe an older child who has experienced academic failures in the past, not because, again, they that they don't know the information, but just because they can't show it. And a lot of times our kiddos who get older, that, that's one of the most frustrating things for them. That's why they hate school is because they are learning, but they can't show it, and, and they're still getting bad grades for it. Um, so setting a goal like that would be very beneficial for these kids. Then um, establishing a procedure or a set of steps to reach the goal. Um, so again, you know, you say you've got 10 minutes to work on this. Um you know, a procedure, again, you could write a, or have a reminder on their desk to check your work, um, to check the formula on, on the, your little cheat sheet, or, you know, those kinds of things. So you establish that procedure, and you go through these kinds of things with the kid. Um, supervise the child following the procedure, so that's when you add that structure. Um, evaluate the process and make changes if necessary. Uh, and a real good thing, too, to do with this is that, and this works with planning as well, is that you have the child say, well, how well, or you ask the child, how well do you think this worked? Okay. Oh, you didn't think this worked that well? What would you do to change that? Or why do you think this didn't work well? Or if they came up with an idea first and it didn't work well, then you try another thing and you say, all right, Johnny, did this work better than the first thing that we tried? Okay, it did. Why do you think it, why did it work better? You know, those kinds of things. You know, poor Johnny, he's got a lot of of stuff going on, doesn't he? (laughs) Um, But hopefully, hopefully with these uh, interventions we can help him out. Um, And then eventually, of course, fade the supervision. Um, And then have Johnny do those kinds of things on his own. Okay. Um, Incentive systems. Okay. Uh, I know there's been some, there's mixed reviews about incentive systems. Sometimes they can be a little bit too complex. Um, and then if they're too complex, then you know, of course they don't work. Um, but basic incentive systems seems to work pretty well. Again, you know, for our younger kids, you're not going to make a sticker chart for a 16-year-old. <laughs> um, so uh, again, it's kind of the, the, the same procedure. You describe the problem behavior. You set a goal. Um, decide on possible rewards and contingencies. Uh, write a behavior contract and evaluate the process and make changes. Okay, uh, the behavior contract is a pretty good idea. It's not a new idea, uh, but it's a, a pretty good idea um, for some of these kids, so that way they take more ownership of um, uh, of their behavior um, as well. Um, okay, so those are some general kind of um, interventions. And, uh, well, you know what? I, I probably should say I'm on slide 51 for yeah. Other people who are following along with their own slides from uh, the Dropbox. So, right. sorry about that, people yeah. out there. Um,
1: and Matt, okay. I, just, want, I yes. just wanted to jump in. We had another uh, comment. Jump right in. Yeah, I just had. We had a comment from Tracy that she she really liked the distinction between the lack of knowledge and the lack of performance because they can mm-hmm. look very similar but are so different. And mm-hmm. I, I completely agree with that. I think um, sometimes our role is also to help. The other adults um, involved, teachers and parents, understand that um, that, dis- that distinction because it can look like a lack of knowledge. It can also look like a, a lack of of caring sometimes, mm-hmm. um, like-, mm-hmm. like a child is doing uh, difficult things on purpose in some way. And I think that's important mm-hmm. too. So thank oh, you, Trace, Tracy.
3: <laughs> yes, very good comment. Absolutely, and you know. The, the, the more I learn and the more I, I study about these executive functions and the more uh, you know my, my evaluations are f- really focused on these executive functions um, you know the more I find that there's that, that, that discrepancy between yeah. what they know and what they can show right. and there's there's a lot of cases that I've had even this year that uh, parents and teachers are concerned about a cognitive disability and you know and we do we try to do an academic assessment first because then that drives you know that helps me decide which subtests you know how how is that going to make or shape my evaluation, but you know, this kid who they are thinking might have a cognitive disability comes back with, with all average academics, solid average. You know, we're not talking anything like even in the shady 80s, mm-hmm. um, you know, 90s, um, in the hundreds, even a little bit above um, those kinds of things. <laughs> so you know, right there, I mean, that that shows that when we're working with these kids, um, uh, we are essentially um, not taking the whole place, but taking over the majority of their frontal lobe function because we're adding the structure, we're giving them, um, you know, more one-on-one type attention, we're uh, making sure that they're staying on task, you know, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, uh, you know, a child's ability to perform in the classroom is not just solely based on academics. You know, there's all kinds of other factors, and you know, like such as, for example, the executive functioning um, systems that play a major role in these children's um, uh, academic performance. And as they get older, it's there's more and more emphasis to those executive functions. Um, okay. Yes. All right. Um, so inhibition um, interventions. Um, thinking the stop-and-think strategies. <clears throat> and actually, um, uh, there's this uh, intervention book, which just really, really great, uh, where I get a lot of the interventions from um, called, I think it's called Teaching Children to Learn, and it's in its second edition. And uh, Jack Naglieri, and there's another author who authored it. And it, it's about 30 bucks. You can get it on Amazon, and if you if you got really good negotiating skills, you can get your school to buy it for you like I did. <laughs> but it comes with a, a CD, and they allow you to print off these worksheets and print off these um, interventions um, that you can that I attach to the end of my report as kind of like another appendix. Um, and there's some really, really good stop-and-think strategies, um, uh, some really good, like, planning strategies that steps these things out for these kids and for the parents, too. Um, so I would definitely check that out as well. Um uh, you know, if you're able. But anyway, so the, the stop and think strategies really help out with the, these kids with the uh, with disinhibition. Um, cue the child prior to starting or engaging in the situation. Um, add a cue to sight words typically missed. Um, so I see this a lot with the the kids who and uh, this part of that like kind of a cognitive flexibility inhibition. You know, because you have to inhibit a response to be able to be flexible in your thought process okay so all these um executive functions are related to each other too i mean you can't think of uh these functions in isolation um you know you can't think of here's inhibition over here here's cognitive flexibility over there here's planning over here those kinds of things because they're all related so you look at how does a kid function with doing these assessments together Um, okay so the, the sight words. So there's a lot of times that we have these kids with, uh, you know, some inhibition difficulties or cognitive flexibility difficulties that um, they're reading sight words, right? Sight word reading—that's our really quick, really rapid reading. That's what we need for a good fluency. And then they come to a word that they don't know, or that's a new word, and then they cannot inhibit that response to respond in their sight word reading cognitive mode. So then they see that first letter and they just read that that word that comes to their mind. Um, instead of shifting their cognitive set to sight word reading or I'm uh, shifting from sight word reading to word decoding and then shifting back to sight word reading. So a lot of times if you dri- bring attention to that sight word that they're missing, you know, making a little dot or underlining it, that's their cue. And then you can, again, talk to the child about this before you get started. That's their cue to shift their mindset or inhibit that tendency to read it as a sight word and sound it out. Um, that, that, that tends to work really well. And then of course, then we look at, um, providing it with structure at first. So we're doing it for the child, but with the child and then explaining them why we're doing this, (coughs) excuse me. And then once they get the the hang of it, um, then you have the child go through it and say, all right, now what I want you to do, Johnny, is underline all the new words or all the words that, you know, you've had some difficulty with, um, that way, when you come to it, you know you need to sound it out and not read it as a sight word. And that helps Johnny then become more aware of, yeah, you know what? There's some words that I have some difficulties with that I'm going to need to do these strategies with. Um, you know, teaching coping skills, those kinds of things can really help out, um, you know, how you react when you reach your frustration tolerance. Um, you know, there's some people that can, you know, they have to, have to keep working. And, and then they, they – Uh, solve the problem there's some people who just need to take a step away take a breath do something else come back to it Um, and that's all about that self-awareness so you need to work with the kid on understanding how do they solve problems are they the type that they have to take a break and come back to it um, or they the type that they can kind of work through it on their own Um, and getting them to recognize those kinds of things and recognize when they've reached that frustration tolerance really helps out with that behavior academically and behaviorally um, increased supervision um, and and just teaching the importance of inhibition, um, just teaching why why is this important? Why do we need to do this? There's a lot of kids, especially more of our intelligent kids, that they can be kind of challenging to um, to teach sometimes because they want to know why. What's the purpose of this? Because they're thinking not so much you know um, small picture of what's going on at this second in Mrs. Smith's classroom in you know. USA town USA you know that kind of thing that they're thinking what am I how am I going to use this in real life what's the purpose of this um, and when you're doing the when you approach it from that perspective you're increasing their motivation um, you know there's sometimes kids and I think this was talked about too just a little bit ago that they may seem they might seem lazy unmotivated those kinds of things where they just have some of these you know executive functioning difficulties um, where you know there's no kid who wants, who wakes up and says you know what I'm going to be lazy today, or I'm going to be totally unmotivated today. Um, You know, there's always a reason behind it. Uh, There's a lot of times that I've found that kids who have poor motivation, um, that they have some difficult. Oh, was there a beep? That was
1: my beep, but I don't think it's anything. Sorry.
3: Is 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 that my beep? I need to finish up, or I I need to move on. Is that (laughs) is is that my motivator going off? (laughs) I was paying attention. Um, uh, But um with the, the planning, uh, th- these kids come up with a poor plan to how to solve the problem, and then they lack that flexibility to be able to say, how well is this plan working? Do I need to change my plan? And then lack that ability then to um, uh, decide on a new plan of action and then try that. So there's a lot of times these kids with uh, poor motivation that they have uh, poor planning, so their plan is uh, efficient or ineffective, and then they go to solve the problem. They don't get it right right away, and then they give up. Okay, and that you know that's motivation, uh, or that that's perceived as poor motivation when in actuality it's poor executive functions that has that that has caused the poor motivation. Or motivation is the secondary characteristic. Um, I know I haven't talked about it yet, but the, the tower test on the uh, the decaps, which is similar to like the Tower of Hanoi or Tower of London test, is a really, really good test at looking at the efficiency of problem-solving behavior, or how efficient is the child. Because, um, you know, the less efficient the child is, the more motivation they will need to solve the task. The way it's done in the tower test is that, um, you know, you're given these discs, and you have to follow these rules, and you have to make the discs match the picture. You have to move them around. So, you look at when the kid is all the way done with the whole subtest. You look at um, how many moves they made, and then you compare that to the minimum amount of moves that they could could have made. You know, if there's a tower that takes five moves to make, but they took 20 moves to get there, yeah, they still got it. So they're um, overall achievement score is going to be good, but their uh, uh, efficiency is not so good. So they have the ability, they're just not efficient about it. And usually that's related to the planning. <clears throat> um, okay, so anyway. All right, so um, uh, selective, focus and sustained attention um, ideas, uh, even though, you know, so, uh, Um, Attention does fall under that executive functioning umbrella, even though there's a lot of, um, you know, the way the reports are organized, uh, you know, attention is kind of on its own. But anyway, um, provide a cue to, get the attention back to the task at hand. Um, And, you know, that's like that dot on the desk or, you know, whatever. Um, There's sometimes, you know, um, let's say the teacher's like, well, I don't have time for that, Okay. Um, say okay, you know I understand. You have a large class. You're busy, um, but you could put a dot uh, on the front of the room, and that could be the cue not only for that child but the whole class to pay attention. You know, or you could set something else up, or you could set up a little timer that goes off. You know, for the whole class to do. You know, so that could be the cue for the whole class to pay attention, not just poor Johnny. Okay. Yeah. Um, provide a task schedule with breaks. Um, provided in there. A lot of times ADHD kids have difficulty with motivation, not again because they don't want to finish the work, but because they have difficulty understanding when am I going to get a break. Um, I found in my just doing um, evaluations that if I just have a, a blank sheet of paper and I write one to five and each time we get something done I cross you know a number off and then we get to take a break, I mean that helps them out um, a lot. Uh, and, of course, you know, if I'm kind of strapped for time, I'm, I may not remind Johnny that we just finished the task and move on and see if he notices. Um, <laughs> sometimes they do. And then be like, Dr. Matt, we got two tasks done, and I don't see anything crossed off. You know, oh, yeah, sorry about that, Johnny. Yeah, <laughs> that. Sorry. Um, okay. So, um, again, just teaching the importance of education. Or education, <laughs> that's important, too. But teaching the importance of attention um, can just be... Be important as well, and can get the kid to understand. You know, my teachers tell me to pay attention all the time, but now I understand why I should pay attention. Now it makes sense. Um, have the student repeat back what was said. You know, that's real easy uh, way to check for understanding. Um, and sometimes it, it helps them too um, practice how to summarize and how to just get the uh, the important bits of information out. Um,
0: that you were okay. talking about, um, just the importance of them understanding you know why you should pay attention and how you know mm-hmm. how that's important also would be um, like what be what being attentive looks like like some kids mm-hmm. may not realize that you know when they're playing with something their phone or doing this or you know multitasking that that that's not being attentive to maybe a speaker or something like that. So sometimes teaching them that, you know, what you're doing right now, that doesn't really look like (laughs) when you're attending. That's not good attention. Um, You know, you should be looking at the speaker or you should be looking at your worksheet or you should be focusing, you know, that type of thing. So some kids kind of, I found, need to... Be taught what 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 that looks like
2: and what that is. <laughs> and, absolutely. Um, it, it, it's eight fifty, and I know we want to get out of here by nine for Walking Dead, or at least I do. Yeah. So um, you have so much great information, Matt, and we wanted to get to maybe case studies or discussion. So would you be able to kind of breeze through your next few slides so we can? Sure, absolutely. Thank you.
3: And, you know, if you guys need me to come back for part three, to <laughs> you know that that's fine too with me. I, you know, I don't care. Yeah. I could talk about this kind of stuff all day. So, um, okay. Um, let's see, uh, intermittently reinforcing behavior is good, you know, so they don't know when they're going to be reinforced. Um, okay, so task initiation. So, um, this can be a little bit difficult, a little bit more challenging to even assess, uh, and let alone, um, to intervene for. Um, focus on motivation can help out with that, providing incentives, um, Working on planning and organization, there's a lot of times that kids are just overwhelmed. They have that difficulty with organizing information, you know, visual information, so they just get overwhelmed, so then they shut down. So they stop, or they have difficulty starting the task. Uh, make sure one task is completed prior to starting another. Um, sometimes the the kid is um, um, afraid of, or the, the kid doesn't like to do the math worksheet because it's hard. So face the fears. Um... You know, we we'll work on self-concept issues if, if that's the case, those kinds of things. A verbal visual cue, um, you know, you do something like, um, you know, I want you to start on three. One, two, three, or, you know, something like that, or red light, yellow light, green light, or, you know, whatever. Um, and, again, that's a very easy intervention that you can provide for um, the whole class. Yeah. Um, Structured help for the first problem, and if still having issues, refer back to the first problem. Those kinds of things we've kind of talked about before. Um, also, a, a real kind of a you know, so, so, you know, when you're working with younger kids, you have to be silly anyway. You know, uh, I think that's the reason why I get a well get along so well with some of these younger kids is because we're both at the same maturity level, um, mm-hmm. so they relate well to me. I relate well to them. Um, but you know, I, I've seen a teacher that um, that did this intervention. I really liked it for the shifting. Um, cognitive set. Um, when it was time to, like, you know, put your math book away, they actually, like, acted like they were in a car and they were shifting gears, you know, and that was their sign for, okay, math is done. Now we need to start shifting into reading or whatever. So, you know, they were doing the the car sound, you know, the, you know, that kind of stuff. And they were shifting, and, it, and the kids loved it, and it seemed to work pretty well. So, I forgot to put that in here as well. Um, okay, planning. Um, again, just bringing the the importance of um, planning itself, uh, and I got a lot of these again from the um, uh, the Naglieri uh, uh, Helping Children Learn book. Um, that is definitely a uh, a, a must um, for you guys. Um, when reading or watching TV, stop and ask the child what what you think is going to happen and why, and what's going to come next. Those kinds of things. That's easy for you know parents to do. Um, I guess I kind of skipped this one. Allowing the child a, a different choice of studying, you know, like for spelling words, they can either, you know, write the word 20 times each. They can look up some definitions. They can find pictures of it and write down the word behind the, or under the picture. Those kinds of things. And then you have the child talk about why did they, um, why did they choose this particular strategy and not this one, and did this work? Not you know that kind of thing. Um, Help with short and long-term goals with visuals. Um, break larger assignments into smaller sections with due dates. So you know if they have a big paper that's due in two weeks, that's let's say five pages. Then you set a due date for the first two pages, um, or you set a due date for the rough draft, or you know those kinds of things where you add smaller due dates before the larger ones. That adds that structure. Um, associate similar successfully completed tasks to novel ones. <clears throat> And, you know, that, that's the, um, the, sometimes the difficulty with planning is that you can teach them how to plan for this particular task when you're sitting with them, but teaching them to use that skill in everyday life or in everyday functioning areas can be a little bit more challenging. So really focusing on that can be helpful. Um, some cognitive flexibility ideas. Um, reducing the novelty or the newness of the task. Um So you want the the child to be as familiar with the tasks. Um, A lot of times, allowing them um, some practice items that are very similar to what they have to do can really help out. Um, Other times, having them warm up with activities that they did the day before that you know that they're really good at, that can help them kind of get that cognitive flexibility, get their mind going a little bit. Um, You know, Sometimes kids with cognitive flexibility issues, I kind of compare them to... uh, you know, like Wiley E Coyote. You know, uh, you, poor poor guy. He's always chasing after the uh, uh, the, the bird, right? And uh, when he runs, you know, he's like running in place. He's not going anywhere. The wheels are turning, but then he eventually goes. But you know, usually he falls off a cliff or you know that kind of thing. Um, sometimes these kids with those cognitive flexibility issues are very similar to that. That their mind is going and they're they're in place. They're not doing anything yet, but they're still in that transitioning phase. It just takes them longer. Um, okay, uh, decrease the speed of presentation and complex uh, complexity. Sorry. Um, so slowing down the, the presentation, smaller chunks, those kinds of things, because, again, these kids have difficulty shifting to what you're doing right now. Um, changing the open-ended questions to more closed-ended questions. Encourage self-monitoring. Um, you know, again, if you're looking at a kid with flexibility issues, a lot of times they're going to have difficulties with the first couple problems that they do. Remember we talked about kids who have some uh, persistence difficulties or impersistence that they're more likely to commit errors on the final parts of the assignment. These kids with more of a flexibility issue um, ha- can have a greater tendency to commit errors on the first parts of the assignment. Um so getting them to, to recheck those um, problems that they did initially, those kinds of things can really help out. Providing a little bit more structure initially, those kinds of things. Um, teach multiple ways of solving a task um, that can help or that can, you know, be even worse for the poor kid with flexibility issues. Um, again, you know, knowing that the kid is, is uh, beneficial here. Teach awareness of internal states. Uh, so the child becomes more aware when he or she is stressed. Because as we become stressed, then our problem-solving ability, our planning, those kinds of important things, um, are less effective. Um, increasing reinforcement and segmenting tasks into a step-by-step process. Okay. Um, any any questions? Um,
1: uh, we got one awesome comment from our friend Tracy. She said, um, awesome tools and ideas excited to implement with students tomorrow and oh, speaking great. of implementing tomorrow I posted a link to the um, Nagliari book helping kids learn on both mm. um, on both Facebook pages and I discovered that you can buy it used for really inexpensive and there's lots of booksellers that
0: mm.
3: sell
1: it used I'm hoping the CD will still be in there and in good condition but
3: mm-hmm. oh there. yeah that that's a great great book I, I have those suggestions in my report almost every time.
1: I love that too, just putting the intervention right at the end of this um, report. I like that recommendation also. That's really great.
3: Oh thanks. Uh, I I would like to say that was my idea but it was not. (laughs) So (laughs) So
2: we're out of time guys. Um, We have to wrap it up. Um, Thank you so much Dr. Matt for Uh, all your information and we'd like to encourage our viewers out there to read through these case studies and um, they're the PowerPoint presentations are on our website, and um, Matt, are you okay with us giving out your email address if people want to yeah. like, email you or mm-hmm. ask questions yeah, or actually, anything?
3: Actually, yep. I've got the my contact information here. I've got my email. Okay.
2: Perfect. Yeah.
3: And right. also, for further research, um, uh, there's the uh, the school neuropsych website, actually, and they have, um, you can, you can um, of course, go through the full school neuropsych training um or you can go to the individual webinars that they have on the decafs. Um, so you have uh, the professionals. Um, some you even have some of the authors um, talking to you about the tests that they help author, which is really neat. Um, uh, about how to uh, implement and interpret the decafs, the NEPC, um, introduction to school neuropsychology in general. Um, Dr. McCloskey, who I uh, reference very often, he does the uh, executive functioning Um, presentation there and I was lucky enough in my training to um, hear uh, Dr. McCloskey talk and I mean if you think I can talk about executive functions (laughs) I don't even compare to him Um, also I talked a little bit about cognitive processing Dr. Dehane um, and there's the uh, CHC cross battery assessment with Dr. Flanagan um, Alfonso and Dr. Ortiz um, as well thank you very
0: much awesome resources
3: oh yeah definitely check them out
0: Okay. So we're
2: going to close out. Uh, we're back November 15th. We're going to be talking about working with English language learners, ELL students. Um, so join us again for that. And thanks again, um, Dr. Rebeck. This
0: was awesome. You rock.
3: Great. Good deal. Good to hear. Thanks. <laughs> All
0: right. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everyone.